friends. Welcome to RUF. So we're working our way through the Gospel of John, if you've been with us. And uh, tonight we come to John 5. And it's one of my favorite questions that uh, Jesus ever asks anyone. So we're going to look at it tonight. John 5, starting in verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda which has five roof colonnades. And in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? And the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The the man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things in the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. Let me pray for us, and I want to dive in to tonight. Lord, we thank you that, that you are the wounded healer, that you are the one who um, not only came down from heaven and took on flesh and became Emmanuel, God with us, but you are, you are the one who pursues the broken and the lost like us. You are the one who goes after the one, uh, the one lost sheep. You are the one who pursues and brings home and brings to wholeness sinners like us. And so, Lord, I pray tonight that as we look at this text, that you, in, in a way that you alone can do, would send forth your spirit without measure and impress upon our hearts and our minds and our lives the depth of your love to us, uh, even in the face of our brokenness before you. Lord, we thank you that we thank you for the gospel, that there is good news for us tonight. Some of us, no doubt, come weary. Some of us come very much in touch with our brokenness. And Lord, I ask that you would be the great comforter that you would remind us of the ways that you, that while we were yet sinners, you died for us, Lord Christ. And Lord, some of us come and we are puffed up, we are proud, we don't see our brokenness. And Lord, I pray for, for those of us who come in that way, that you would humble us, that you would expose us, that you would work in a way that you alone can work in us to call us to repentance, to call us to honesty and confession, that we might entrust that to you and that we might be made whole. So, Lord, I pray that you would do these things and more in our midst tonight. We ask these things, Lord Christ, in your name. Amen. So that's what I want to talk about tonight. I want to kind of dive in and talk about our really three things from this passage. First is our need for wholeness. Second is our fear of wholeness. And the last thing I want to talk about is our hope, the hope that we have for wholeness. So let's, let's dive right in and talk about our need for wholeness. What I love about this passage is Jesus meets this very clearly uh, and deeply broken man. 
He's a man who has been something like a paraplegic for 38 years. We don't know how he got there. We don't know if he was born this way and lived his whole life this way. We don't know if he suffered some sort of tragic accident. We don't know how he got there. We just know he's been an invalid and most likely a paraplegic for 38 years, which means he has been in a long wilderness of pain, deep pain, pain that most of us can't relate to. He's had to be moved around by others. He's not been able to do the most basic things for himself, like shower or bathe. Uh, He's been a literal stench. Just literally, he smelled, no doubt, that pool had a stench to it that made people like us avoid it. To be that helpless, to be that isolated, to be that stuck, and he's been like this for 38 years. And this this is the kind of situation, if we're being honest, that you and I, the kind of situation and the kind of people that you and I most likely avoid or typically avoid. This is why if you're like me and you're walking on Main Street or you're walking in Five Points and you see the, the homeless man or woman who feels like you feel that they're going to kind of stop you and maybe ask something of you. And much to my shame, a lot of the time I put my headphones on and I briskly walk right by because I don't want to enter into their pain. I don't want to enter into their story and have to give something of myself. And the first thing I want you to see is that this is the kind of place that Jesus sought this man out. That Jesus, as he's going to Jerusalem, actually sees this man, sees his story, sees his pain, and goes right over. And Jesus, in doing this, he's giving us a picture of Psalm 34, 18. We say it all the time. I've said it to myself. I've prayed it so much over this last month, month and a half. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. And Jesus is giving us a picture of what that actually looks like as he approaches this man who is brokenhearted and crushed in spirit for 38 years. Uh, there's one pastor, his name is Steve Brown, who likes to say, if you want to follow Jesus, if you want to follow Jesus, hang around pain. Because pain is where Jesus loves to be. He is near to the brokenhearted. Um, and, and there's something in this for us. Because I think there's a reason why we typically avoid people in these situations and people who are like this. Years ago, when we were in Statesboro, Georgia, we are at one of those missionary conferences And I heard a man speak who was a missionary to Albania, and he particularly, they had, I think, something like an orphanage, and they particularly worked with disabled children. And as he was sharing about their ministry, he said something that I'll never forget. He said this, he said, the Lord's heart, here's here's why I believe in this ministry. He said, the Lord's heart is toward the disabled because they carry in their bodies the brokenness of the fall that you and I are able to hide. And then he said, we are just as disabled as they are, spiritually speaking, but because it doesn't manifest itself physically, the brokenness, we're way better at hiding it. And don't forget just that moment of thinking, man, there's something so true in that. That when you read this passage, if you're like me, it's kind of, this man is complicated. He he seems, we're going to talk about in a second, he seems full of self-pity. He seems kind of like a sad case. Like, I think as Americans, we would think, just pull yourself together, man. Somehow get in that pool. Be bold. Ask someone. Or just crawl, crawl in that thing. To background this text, this was a pool that was believed in that day that there was like a wind. They believed it was an angel spirit who would stir the pool. And if you got yourself into the pool right after the stirring, there was, they believed, healing that could happen. That's why this man says to Jesus when he talks to him, when he answers him, he says, I've not been able to get in at the right time, right? I've been too disabled to get in at the right time. And I think there's a way of looking at this man just like, oh, such a sad case. But we miss the spiritual implications for ourselves. That you and I are just as spiritually broken as this man was physically broken. 
And the reality is some of us, we're just better at hiding it. Um, there's actually a song, I don't know if you've listened to uh, Lil Wayne's latest album, Carter Five, where he, here's, Lil Wayne's been probably my favorite for years because I think there are moments in his albums over the years, especially Carter Three, where he gets pretty vulnerable for a rapper. And in this latest album, Carter Five, he's got this song called I'm a Mess. Or he's just kind of, he gets vulnerable about his life. And he, he simply says this, he says, because my days is a mess, my nights is a mess, my life is a mess, my life is a mess. My life is a mess of happiness, lust, sex, obsession, desire with no love. And then he talks about how that unfolds in his life. And part of what I love about it is that he's at least articulating, even though I don't think Lil Wayne knows Jesus yet. So we can be praying. We can pray for him. Pray him into the kingdom. Who knows? He might. But there's this point where he's being vulnerable about his need to be made whole, about his mess of a life. Here's what this means. This means that there are only two types of people in the world. Only two types of people. And it's not Republicans and Democrats. It's not conservatives and liberals. It's not the rich and the poor. It's not successes and failures. It's not the cool kids and the dork kids. It's simply this. Those who know their brokenness and know their need to be made whole and those who don't yet know their brokenness and their need to be made whole. You feel me? There are only two types of people. Those who know something of their brokenness, something of their sinfulness, something of their messed upness, and those who are still in denial. Those who still have rejected that first half of the gospel that says, you're so bad, Jesus had to die for you. And the first question for us is, which one are you? Are you a person who is increasingly in touch with your own brokenness, Or are you someone who doesn't yet see it, doesn't yet feel it, doesn't yet know it? Um, This also means that the way that you know Jesus is working in your life is you're getting more in touch with your own brokenness. This is what's so antithetical or sort of paradoxical about the gospel, is the only ones who are in are those who feel they should be out. The only ones who the Lord is near are those who are brokenhearted and crushed in spirit about their own sin. And I don't mean you see everything. Jesus doesn't crush us like that. If we, if I saw every, every part of my sinfulness, I would be depressed and not get out of bed for days. But I can tell you the Lord's sanctifying work in my life is the same as yours. He showed me bit by bit by bit and humbled me bit by bit by bit by showing me yet more and yet more of my need for him. And that's the first thing I want you to see our need to be made whole. But there's a problem. And the problem is, the second point, is we have a fear. If we're being honest, we are afraid of the Lord making us whole. We are afraid of healing. We are afraid of Jesus making us whole. That's why Jesus, I mentioned at the beginning, this is my favorite question, I think, he asked in all of the Bible. He asked him a stunning question. This is why Jesus, one of his names we sing at Christmas, is Wonderful Counselor, because the counsel he provides this man and the question he asks this man is genius. It is so perfect. He says, Literally, you can translate it a few ways. Do you want to be healed or do you want to be well? Or the way that you can also translate it is, do you want to be made whole? Do you want to be made whole? Do you want Jesus to heal you? Do you want him to get into your story like that? And before we kind of answer that too quickly, just sit with that question for a second. Do you want to be made whole? If you know your heart, the answer is complicated. Because the answer is, yeah, I'm kind of sick of me. I'm kind of tired of doing the same things that I've been struggling 
with for years and years. I'm kind of tired of life on my own terms. And no, I do not want to lose that control. I would prefer to stay in my way of trying to manage my pain and my suffering and my brokenness than Jesus for you to kind of enter into my life in this deeply invasive way, right? The question is complicated. Do you want to be whole? Because if you realize the question, you realize the pain that is involved in the changes that Jesus wants to make in you. There is deep pain with Jesus making you whole, and I think we, we get that, we realize that. And this is why I think, this is why over the years I think it's been so hard to convince people to get the counseling, right? Because either you're like, I don't, what do I need counseling for? I'm not that broken to need counseling. I'm like, all right, just give it some time. Or you think, I probably do need that, but here's the reality. I don't want to get involved with the pain of that. I don't want to get involved with someone looking deep down within my soul and then speaking wisdom and truth into it or grace into it. That sounds way too painful. I just had this conversation with a friend and uh, this friend has a story really similar to mine where real broken uh, home life, real broken dad story. And we were talking about um, this friend hasn't, you know, it's been years and years and years and she's never been to counseling. And we were talking about it over the summer and I, I was just asking about it, not in a, not in like a shaming way, but just saying, you know, have you thought about, have you thought about counseling? And she said, I have. And she said, the thing that always stops me is I realize that the moment I walk into that door, I lose control. I lose control of my ability to navigate and manage my life in ways that feel like they're mostly working for me, even though I can admit they're not entirely working for me. But I am terrified of giving up that control to someone else. I am terrified of giving that, someone that power to speak into my story and help point me to Jesus in my pain. And I think his answer is equally revealing. Because his answer feels a lot like a fluctuation that I live in, and I think if you're being honest, you live in, these two poles, fluctuating between, on the one hand, self-pity, when he says, listen, I've been here 38 years, but no one has helped me get in this pool. And there's a little bit, if you listen closely to this text, there's a little bit of self-pity in his voice. There's a little bit of self-pity in what he's saying. But I think there's also a good bit of pride. I think there's part of him that's like us that says, I should be able to get myself in that pool. I should be able to get myself the healing that I need, the healing that I long for. And do you see that? That's what we do, y'all. We typically fluctuate. When it comes to places in our lives where we need healing, we need to be made whole, we fluctuate between self-pity, if this, if this, if this, if that, if that, if that. Or we fluctuate with pride. I should be able to do this by myself. I should be able to get myself together and get changed the way I need to. It reminds me, there's all kinds of Old Testament prints in this passage. And I think one of the biggest ones is this story from 2 Kings 5. You've probably heard me talk about it. It's one of my favorites. It's uh, 2 Kings 5, and it's the story of Naaman. Remember Naaman? He was one of the high up in the army of Assyria, and he gets leprosy. Do you remember the story? And this little slave girl from Israel that has been conquered and is living in his house says, you have leprosy. I know where you need to go. You need to go see the king of Israel. He can heal you. And you remember the story? Naaman and all of his riches and all of his grandeur and all of his power Literally, he gets his like a little posse together with bunches of treasure. They like they ball out and head to Israel, and he goes to the king, and the king says, "Nope, can't help you. Go see Elisha." And he goes to Elisha, and Elisha sends his messenger, and the messenger simply has a word from the Lord and says, "I want you. The Lord has said to, for me to tell you to go wash in the Jordan River." Now, what you need to know, if you've ever seen the Jordan River, or seen pictures of it, it is a nasty, nasty river. I mean, it was like almost like a swamp. And Naaman takes one look at this thing, and here's literally what he says in 2 Kings 5. He says, it says, but Naaman, uh, he, went away, he went away angry and said, 
I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call in the, uh, the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Parpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? And so he turned off and went off in a rage. And I'll never forget sitting in a counseling group and I'm, I'm looking at these guys and I'm thinking, I don't need to be here. This is not where I need to be. And the Lord in that moment in my pride said, you remember, that, you remember that story about Naaman? This is your Jordan River. The place where I'm going to humble you and show you your complete dependence upon me and my grace and my power, that's the place that you need to be. And if I'm being honest, it terrifies me because I lose control. Because I lose the ability to take care of my life in the ways that I want to. We have a fear of what wholeness is going to cost us. In Naaman's case, the cost of wholeness was being humbled of his pride. That's often the case. In every case, it's the cost of giving up control of our lives, of our ability or our thought ability to manage our own pain and brokenness, and instead taking it to Jesus and letting Jesus tell us what to do. We're terrified of it. Um, this is why I think Breaking Bad is the perfect show. Uh, Carol has just started Breaking Bad. Yeah, Carol. Carol's just started. So I'm like watching when she comes to hang out. We, I'll watch an episode or two with her. And there's a scene that I've been thinking about before she started watching it again. Where Walter White, if you've never seen Breaking Bad, it's the perfect story of a man who is faced with intense brokenness. Both in himself and in his family and just in his life situation. And he, instead of losing control and submitting to the brokenness of his situation and maybe seeking the help that he needs in appropriate ways, he decides he's going to essentially, he doesn't decide this. The genius of the show is it shows you over five, six seasons. How many seasons? Carol, you know? Yeah, five. Yep. Anyways, uh, just the little by little decisions that he makes in the name of staying in control. And you get to watch a man who's really, really broken become essentially this really terrifying monster of a drug lord. There's a scene toward the end, kind of as he's Walter White, things are kind of imploding and exploding around him, especially in his family. And there's this scene at the very end with him and his wife, Skylar. And she's basically saying, why did you do it? Like, why did you let all of these things happen to you and to others? Why did you do this? And there's a scene that I love where he says, I did it for me. I liked it. I was good at it. And I was really, really alive. And when I see that scene, you have to to watch to appreciate the decisions he makes, the horrific, hurtful, life-ending decisions that he makes. This is his justification. It was his fear of losing control and entering into the wholeness that Jesus offers us in the gospel. In his case, he's afraid of being a husband, afraid of being a father, afraid of being a friend. Afraid of being a man battling cancer, afraid of being a provider for his family. But in short, we can say he was afraid of wholeness. He was afraid of the pain of the changes that needed to happen in him. And the thing is, the only alternatives, here's here's the alternative. You either take your brokenness to Jesus or you break other people with it. Those are the only two choices. You either begin tonight to take your brokenness to Jesus And find the healing that you really long for, even if it's scary. Or you're going to break people with it. You're going to destroy others in small ways and big ways with it. And that's the choice that we have. To entrust it to the wounded healer or to try to handle and heal our pain by ourselves. 
And this is why Jesus does this miracle. You've got to see this. He's doing this miracle. Part of what's happening, so in John, remember where we are. So he's, he's basically did the first miracle in Cana with the wine. He's had these two conversations, really intense ones, with uh, Nicodemus and the woman at the well. And this is his third conversation, but it's also his second miracle. And in this miracle, he is purposely doing it. John writes it all over the text. He's doing it on the Sabbath. So he's doing it in a twofold way. He's doing it for this man. And he's saying to this man, we're going to see in this passage, this man does not receive the wholeness Jesus offers. This man is physically healed, but this man, to the end, is still addicted and crippled by his approval, wanting approval from the Pharisees. That's why he eventually tells them Jesus. He goes to them and rats them out. But Jesus is also doing this on the Sabbath to say something to the Pharisees. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, you care so little about this man's physical brokenness that you're really going to reprimand him who's walked for the first time in 38 years for carrying a mat. And he's saying, this man is physically broken. This man is physically disabled. But Pharisees, have you checked your own hearts? Your hearts and your small, withering lack of compassion are far more broken and far more in need of my healing. And I think the irony is that what this man does, this man shows that even after being physically healed and his fear of the Pharisees, his addiction to their approval, he goes and tells them Jesus. So the first question is, do you see your unbrokenness? But then the second question follows. If you do, here's the second question. Do you want to be whole? Do you want Jesus to make you whole? So I said there are two types of people. There are actually three types of people. And the third type is this. You see your brokenness, but you're not sure you want to be made whole. You're not sure you've signed up for Jesus' painful yet beautiful work in your life of making you whole. And you prefer, if you're like me sometimes, you prefer the numbing and the self-medicating and the things that you've found that worked so far. You much prefer that in a self-preserving kind of way than the risk of entrusting yourself to Jesus and what he might do in your life. And this is our third thing. Third thing I want you to see. So first, our need for wholeness. Second, our, our fear of it. But then the last thing I want you to see is our hope. What's our hope for being made whole? Our hope of wholeness. And what I want you to see is this man had taken his brokenness to this pool, the pool of Siloam, for 38 years because he'd heard there might be healing there. And the thing that you need to know is that you and I are taking our brokenness somewhere. It's not an option to not take your brokenness anywhere. You and I are all taking our brokenness somewhere. Here are some options. Some of us take it to relationships. And we say in our hearts, if this person loves me, then I will be whole. Or we say, if I can just fix this person, then I will be whole. Some of us take it to porn. And we say in our hearts, here's a place. Here is a place where I can be desired and I can feel in control And maybe, just maybe, it will not only make me feel good, but it will make me feel whole. Some of us take it to a bottle of wine. And we say in our hearts, maybe this will give me the liquid courage I need to be someone I don't hate. Maybe it will make me feel for a moment like my guilt and my shame are just at least muted, right? Just for a second. Uh, Just for a second, I won't hate myself so much. And then maybe, just maybe, I'll feel whole. Some of us take it to our classes, to our exams, and we say in our hearts, maybe if I maintain or graduate with honors, 
with an incredible, impeccable GPA, maybe, just maybe, if I graduate and I'm admired by my classmates for my success and I'm my professor's favorite because I always am shining in class, maybe, just maybe, then I will feel whole. And this is the hardest one. Some of us bring it here. And I don't mean I, I want you to bring it here. We want to be a safe place. But what I mean by that is we say to our ministry or we say to our church, if I can just be seen by the leaders as a leader, if I can just be seen as someone who is incredible at ministry, maybe, maybe then I'll feel whole. We have our pools too, right? We have our pools that we think if we can just get in, if we can just serve it and do it right, then we'll feel whole. And Jesus says to us tonight, I'm the true and better pool of Salaam. I'm the only one who can receive your brokenness, who knows it and can make you whole and love to make you whole. This is what I came for. This is the irony of this conversation is here's this man and he still thinks in his mind, if I can just get into the pool and Jesus is saying, I'm the pool. He's saying, I'm the one. Bring your brokenness to me here. Let me physically heal you so you know that I am what I'm saying is true. And yet this man didn't. Do you want to be made whole? This man is interesting. He didn't yet realize. What's interesting about this man is just a few months later, he's going to hear the story of what happened to Jesus. Right? He's in Jerusalem. All of Jerusalem is going to be abuzz with what had happened to Jesus, the sad and tragic end of Jesus, the horrific death that was the cross for Jesus. And this man, what he doesn't yet get, and we don't know, maybe we'll meet him in heaven, but he seems in this passage, he doesn't yet get that Jesus so longs, is so here to make him whole that he is going to be broken himself to make this man whole. When Jesus' his bones are broken and he's disfigured on the cross, he's doing it to invite broken people like you and me and like this man and saying, I'm your wholeness, I'm your pool, I'm the place where your sins can be forgiven, I'm the place where you can be, they can be washed away and you're made white as snow, I'm the place that can real change, has a power and grace to change you and make you new. Um, I don't know if you saw it on Twitter this week, but there was this tweet that was going around I put it up in my feed. It was a professor from, I think, London, somewhere in England. And she's basically arguing for the failure of religion. And there's this little clip that went kind of viral where she's talking about how sad a figure Jesus is. And she says in a pretty, pretty like, stark way, she basically says it's time to be done with what she called Jesus. She called him that strange, crumpled corpse on a cross. It's time to be done and rid of any notions of that strange, crumpled corpse on a cross. And if you're like me, my heart said, that's the only God I want. I want a God who knows my pain. I want a God who understands my suffering. I want a God who can speak from his wounds to my wounds. I want a God who knows my loneliness. I want a God who knows the rejection that I felt and feel so often in my life. I want a God that knows my brokenness and understands it. And yet a God who, I want a God who is risen with healing in his wings. Jesus, we're entering into Advent, so we're celebrating his life and we're leading to his death. But we know he's risen. But in his risen body, we also know that he still bears wounds. The wounds of these things that you and I feel. And this means that Jesus is the only one with the ability and the desire to make you whole. This is what we need. We need someone who is able to make us whole. 
like our idols aren't. And we need someone who loves and wants to make us whole like our idols don't. And Jesus is our Savior that we're looking for. He's the only God who identifies himself with the broken. The only God we've ever heard of that loves and pursues sinners like us. Close with this. There's actually a fourth kind of person. And the fourth kind of person is someone who knows their brokenness and is entrusting it to Jesus. Who knows something of their weakness, something of their, their brokenness, and is entrusting it to Jesus. And I don't know about you, but that's who I want to be. I want to be that person who knows my brokenness, but takes it to Jesus. There's a song I've been listening to all day. It's by the National. It's, it's, called, it's off High Violet, their third album. It's called England. And there's a refrain in the song that I love because I think it gets at this, this fear that we have when the refrain of the song toward the end says, Afraid of the house, stay the night with the sinners. Afraid of the house, stay the night with the sinners. Afraid of the house because they're desperate to entertain. And the part that speaks to me is saying, there's, there's a way of doing the Christian life where we're afraid of the house. Where we're afraid of the place where we can be made whole. Where we're afraid of the welcoming embrace of Jesus And can I just remind myself and remind you tonight that that is the place that we're longing for. And that that home is a safe place for broken people like this man and you and me. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that you you tell us you're preparing a house for us, for sinners who've trusted their brokenness to you. And that you wait even now to receive us with great grace and deep joy. And I pray that you... Um, in ways that you alone can do, would bring us home, would bring us to the beginning of the wholeness and healing that we long for, but that we're terrified of. We need your work in us to even do that. And so we ask for it, and we pray for it, and we pray these things were Christ in your name. Amen. Please stand and sing the doxology with me. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son. Thank you guys so much for coming. Hey, uh, Friendsgiving, Monday night, um, there are, on my part, sides are going to be brought, but I'm going to do a couple turkeys and some Boston butts, so please bring yourself out. We'd love to see you there. Thanks. Look out.